what you want, when you want it, where you want it. This is The Mesh. Welcome to the Entrepreneur Exchange on the Mesh Podcast Network. We're a monthly conversation about startups and small business with ideas, tools, and advice to operate your business more effectively. On today's show, what's in a name and what should you call your new business? We'll break out the Ouija board and give you some ideas for how to come up with the right name for your new business. It's getting close to the holidays and we're getting hungry. So we're here to talk about how to market your food business today with Melissa Early, who is the manager of one of our local farmer's markets here in Western North Carolina. Finally, we'll wind up with our Small Business of the Month feature, where we'll highlight some interesting businesses that you should be checking out. My name is Jeff Newville. I'm your co-host and director of the Small Business Center at Catawba Valley Community College in Hickory, North Carolina. I'm joined by my co-host, Gary Muller, who is the dean of the School of Business, Industry, and Technology at Catawba Valley Community College. Gary, how are you doing? Jeff, doing great. It's fall and getting us into the holiday season. And, of course, very happy to say that your Tar Heels are having a great football season. Well, we we appreciate that. And uh, the the Carolina Tar Heels are having a good football season. But, you know, we're getting close to basketball season, which Which is even more exciting for you right now. And and your Wake Forest team has had a pretty good year, too. Yes, so far so good. And are you getting ready for Halloween? Getting ready for Halloween. You have a lot of scary grades to give out to your students over at the college. Yes, yes. Yeah, good, good for now you. Now, actually, we'll hold that off for uh, another day. Another day. <laughs> All right. Well, we're here in late October. We're coming up on Halloween, and it's a beautiful time of the year. It's uh, uh, some cool evenings, but uh, still some warm afternoons, and it's a great time to be here in western North Carolina. It so. is beautiful right now. When we start our show, we usually like to talk about a little article that's crossed our desk and, and try to give some, some help to our uh, entrepreneurs and small businesses out there. article that I thought was interesting that I've, I saw in Fortune magazine by, written by a fellow named Vern Harnish was about uh, ways to pick the right name for your business. You know, when you're starting a business, what do you call your business? Should it, you know, is it, is it uh, you know, Gary's uh, Consulting, or what are we, we going to call your business? Yeah. I think it's a really important piece, and people spend some time on it, but they don't spend as much time as they need to. Well, I, you know, uh, Mr. Harnish gives you some, some good ideas uh, in his article, and uh, the first one, he says, is call the company what everyone else does. So if there's a certain thing that people are calling your company, you might want to take a lesson from that. And he gives the example of a fan company that was called HVLS Fan Company. And people kept calling up and saying, are you the guys with those big-ass fans? Yes, I thought that was very uh Clever. So they changed their name to the Big Ass Fan yes, Company, you know, and that's a pretty memorable name. It is memorable. I thought about it. I've read it a couple of times. I'm trying to think if I would want to do that, but I guess if that's what they knew them by. Well, I think they're pretty big fans, Gary. They must be. Yeah, I guess. It's, not, it's not those little fans. These no, are the big, these the are the big, big ass fans, I, okay? I get it. All right. I thought we weren't supposed to cuss. Uh, well, you know. I guess if it's in a name of a company, it's okay. Well, we'll see. We'll see if they bleep that out. You know, <laughs> okay. So, all right. Uh, second uh, words of advice, own the right words. It says, uh, don't, get come, uh, don't get hung up on finding a clever name. The key is to find one that's easy to remember. One of the best ways to do that is to reflect the job the customer needs done. And he uh, references a company called 
trenchsafetyandsupply.com, which helps construction companies uh, keep their trenches safe. So it's sort of a nice little fit there. I think it makes so much sense because you don't want to have people thinking about uh, what the name of the company is. You want it to come to their uh, mind really, really quickly. I think it sort of also goes back to, uh, you know, call the company what people do. If you're in charge of trench safety, put that in your name. Because that's what we're going to Google. That's right. We're going to Google something related to the service or product that we need. Another tip he gives, clear the clutter and, and says adding a corporation or LLC after your company name may make your attorney happy, but it just sort of clutters things up. And he mentions uh, the, the famous company Minnesota Mining and Manufacturing as an example, which you probably don't know what that is. Well, you might know, but a lot of people don't know what that is. But well, I, I know. I knew it by what we – the 3M. That's I right. I had forgotten – until I read this article, exactly what it really stood for. And it, it always reminds me of the KFC example, mm-hmm. you know, of, of those of us uh, of a certain age yeah. think of that as Kentucky Fried Chicken, right. and, and now it's the simpler KFC, I guess. They, but I think they were trying to avoid the fried there. Fried is bad. Uh, so Good point. And, then, and the last hint that I wanted to touch on is uh, he says, you know, it's easy to run a test these days using – Google AdWords or, or doing a, a quick Facebook campaign just to get some sense of what sort of reaction that you would get uh, for, for certain names. I think this is a good rule for whatever you're doing, to run a test and not just go out there with that, whatever part of our business. Uh, do a little bit of a sample to see if you're going down the right path. So anyway, just a few few helpful hints. That was in uh, Fortune magazine. I suspect you can find it online at fortune.com. Vern Harnish, uh, five ways to pick a killer name. We shared four of them. You'll have to go online if you want to find that that elusive fifth 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 one. one. So. My small business of so the month has a clever name. Well, we you we'll know, hold on for later. It's you know, a tease. In, in the in the business, we call that a teaser. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway. So anyway, we're gonna we're gonna move on, uh, and we've got a we've got a guest with us today. We have Melissa Early. Melissa, how are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Well, we're very pleased that you can join us. Melissa is the manager of the farmer of the farmers market in Conover, North Carolina, which is is nearby in Hickory here in Western North Carolina. She also works with the North Carolina Cooperative Extension, and she's also a catering manager with the Harvest Moon Grill. So she is dealing with food on um, in multiple places, multiple levels. So uh, a very busy young lady. I sure am. <laughs> and and today, you know, we, we wanted to have you on and talk. We, we work with a lot of clients that are interested in starting businesses that revolve around food, and there are a lot of people out there that are trying to start businesses that revolve around food. So we wanted to talk a little bit with you about uh, how people should should market their food business. And, 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 and tell us a little bit about uh, your, your current work with the farmer's market and, and how long have you been doing that and, and – uh, yeah, what's what's going on with the farmers market these days? Yeah, so I have been with Conover Farmers Market for five years. I started off in high school. I worked for a farmer, and I picked green beans for one week, and I never went back. It was the <laughs> worst job. I learned my lesson really quickly. Um, but he was a pilot at the time, so he just kept asking, "Oh, can you come and check on my chickens while I'm out of town? Can you do this? Can you do that?" And I say yes to everything. <laughs> Obviously, I have three jobs right now, um, so. From picking green beans, I started managing his farmer's market booth, and I started at the bottom, and I worked my way up, and now I'm the manager. So I kind of can see it from all perspectives. Um, I suspect you run into some pretty interesting people and characters in that sort of work. I do. So I grew up in Charlotte, and I 
think I don't have an accent. Um, I hope I don't. Not, not, you know, we're not, not for us, <laughs> not, at least. No, yeah. Not at all. Um, I have a farmer who's lived his entire life in Lincoln County, which is the next county over. And when he gets talking, sometimes I can't understand what he's saying. Um, so I've met some interesting people. But it's a really nice community. And that's one thing that I always push is we're not selling food because we can't compete with a grocery store. We're selling community um, and we're selling um, education. So that's really important for us. Well, I, which sort of oh, you know, you know, brings us, I guess, to, to a first question of as manager of a farmer's market, you know, sort of your job to, to get the word out about the farmer's market. And I guess community is an important piece of that. Are, are there certain elements that you focus on? Are there thir- certain methods that you use to, to get the word out about the farmer's market? How do you, you know, what's your thought process and what sort of things do you do as you, as you try to promote the, the Conover farmer's market? So our main clientele right now is the older generation, um, two-person households, usually 60 or older, which is great, but they're not buying a lot of food and they have limited budget. So who I'm trying to appeal to is um, 25 to 35-year-old age range, maybe with young children. They're going to buy a lot more fruits and vegetables, um, and they'll invest more of their grocery budget into the market. So to reach that um, demographic, I'm doing a lot of uh, online advertising, Facebook, Instagram, and you get a really good bang for your buck that way. I think I boosted a post on Facebook the other day for $5, and I've gotten 3,000 views in Mm. one day, and it's still going on that $5. So I can't do any better than that. It's really phenomenal. Uh, yeah, I, and and I, you know, make make the assumption. Not good to make assumptions. I assume that farmers markets do not have large marketing budgets. So I think you have to get creative and smart and figure out mm-hmm. how, how to make your your buck go a long way. That's correct. Yep. Um, and everybody's on Facebook. Even your grandma's on Facebook, so they'll find it. Everyone. Can I know get they, in touch they embarrass with... the hell out of us when yeah. they do that. <laughs> So, so you're doing a lot of online marketing. So, so it sounds like you you, you sort of have the the older market, the, the older mm-hmm. generation. They're 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 sort of a, a secure audience, and you're trying mm-hmm. to branch out to the younger millennials as as you go forward. Like exactly. me, like you, yeah, yeah, right here. <laughs> <laughs> so, so. You know, as far as marketing food businesses, you know, you know, you know, tell tell us a little bit about a little bit about the folks that that are participants at the farmers market, and do they all market the same way, or they market things uniquely? You know, when, when it comes to marketing a food business, how how do people go about doing that? So, um, I've worked a lot with my vendors this year. The biggest thing is you create this image online with all your advertisements. And then when the people get to the farmer's market, you have to deliver because they'll come one time and if you don't deliver, they're never going to come back and they're going to tell their friends that it wasn't what they expected. Um, so we've got to have killer booth setups. I can't have people back up a truck and throw some vegetables out there that are dirty and they show up in muddy jeans. Um, so we have to stay true to our image but also deliver this idea of what a farmer's market should look like. Mm-hmm. Um, so this year we focused on booth displays, a lot of kitschy wooden crates and cute um, tablecloths. So everything looks nice, but it looks the way you imagine a farmer's market should. 
Um, and actually, Lowe's Foods Grocery Store has done a good job of this, too. They're trying to steal our image, so we have to get better at our image so they can't take it from us. Well, how do you compete against uh, the, the, the large grocery stores? Because mm-hmm. you know, Lowe's Foods is, is uh, a large uh, grocery chain in North Carolina, and, and uh, you know, particularly in our area, they've got they seem to have many grocery stores, uh, and and they're they're trying to, to reach out the community. So, you know, you're, you're, do you focus on farm to table, and or how do you how do you try to set yourself, or, or, or how should farmers try to set themselves apart from what's being sold in, in the, the local grocery stores? We've seen Lowe's Foods rebrand themselves as local and fresh and North Carolina based, which they are. But this um, was your idea, wasn't it? Exactly, they, they I owe you. This. Um, and Ingalls Market out of Asheville has done the same thing. So one thing that I see our competitive edge is transparency. Ingalls or Lowe's Foods or whomever can only accept a small amount of local foods. It's got to be profitable. It has to be safe. There's a ton of regulation. You've got to have like $5 million of insurance to sell a product into Lowe's Foods. It's impossible for a small grower, Um, as it should be. You can't just have unsafe food in grocery stores. Um, So one thing that the farmer's market likes to do is here's exactly where your food is coming from. Here's the person that grew it. Here's a picture of them picking it in the fields because Lowe's Foods can never offer that transparency to you mm-hmm. like we can. And so all of our farmers have open farm tours during the season. If you have a question about the apples, we'll take you out to the orchard and you can see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. Transparency is really the way we set ourselves apart. So how, how, how many different vendors do you have at a, at a typical market? Generally, I have 25 vendors. I have corn vendors that only come for two markets or apple vendors that only come for a couple. Mm-hmm. Um, so during the season, I'll have 70 cycle through, wow. but 25 a week is generally my average, which is more than enough problems for me to deal with. <laughs> and, and do you try to, when you are managing a farmer's market, do you try to say, we... We already got the corn guy. I don't need three corn guys. Mm-hmm. I mean, do you, you do? Are you a traffic cop in terms of trying to make sure that there's not too much Have overlap a nice mix? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, right. You're you're trying to get a nice product mix out there. Is that there's kind your- of a divide in the local foods world, and I fight with my board a lot about this. Is do we accept two or three protein vendors or corn vendors or whomever, um, or do we only diversify? And we lose a lot of vendors in the process. Um, And so my personal thinking is let's go to our max capacity. I think a market my size could support two chicken vendors, let's Mm say. Um, And then when we have new farmers or farmers who are looking to add on, I don't want them to do corn or chicken. Let's talk about mushrooms or um, herbal teas or whatever. So when people are ready to grow, I'll give them ideas um, to grow differently. But I don't want to limit people that have already put in the investment. Makes sense. So, so you you talked a little bit about uh, uh, trying to reach out to a younger audience. I mean, are, are there are there certain trends out there that are, are impacting the the uh, the local food market? Are, are there examples that you've seen going on in other areas that uh, uh, are impacting your business and, and could be impacting food businesses, or give people some idea for types of food businesses that might be might be successful? Absolutely. So I am 22 just to set a baseline here. And my generation loves farmers, loves local food, is really kind of hippy-dippy in that sense. Um, <laughs> you don't seem that hippy-dippy, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but 
but we don't know how to feed ourselves. Um, my mother never cooked growing up, so everything came from the freezer, and I am just now learning how to feed myself, and I think a lot of people my age are also doing that. So it's very hard to sell raw vegetables when people don't know how to eat them. Um, so for the farmer's market, we teach a lot of cooking classes. That's what I do with Cooperative Extension. Um, so teaching people how to use the ingredients and not waste them is really valuable, but uh, not everyone has time to cook. Even if they knew how, they don't have the time. So that's where a new food business comes into play. Backing up a little bit, I think we've almost reached maximum capacity with just general produce vendors. I think we've got all the tomato farmers we need um, for this area. <laughs> You're talking our specific area. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, so, right. you know, it's, yeah. it's okay if someone in another place wants mm-hmm. to grow tomatoes or I want to do yeah. it in my backyard. It's important to figure out you know, who's going to buy your product and who else is selling your product. Because if we have 50 people at one farmer's market doing one thing, that's obviously too much. Um, so I think we're perfect for putting in a middleman right now in between end consumers and producers. Um, so the business that I really see taking off right now is local um, casseroles and ready-to-eat meals and freezer meals. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really where I think we can grow. Do you, do you see that happening in, in other locations? I mean, is that sort of an, is there a model out there for success somewhere for people? So we've seen Zone 7 Foods in Charlotte come up pretty recently. I think they have a sit-down restaurant, but their specialty is take-home casseroles mm-hmm. and soups. It's all seasonal. It's all local. So you get the feel-good aspect of supporting a local farmer, mm-hmm. and you don't have to cook your own food. And you get to support another small business and buying your food from them. I like the idea of not having to make my own food. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I like to I like to easily cook foods. If I can say a casserole in the uh, oven, yes, I'm, exactly. uh, that's that's going to work out well for me. Also, you know, it also reminds me. You know, you, you I see a lot of advertising these days for companies like Blue Apron and and whatnot, which you know they they will send you uh, a box of. I guess fresh ingredients, maybe not. Mm-hmm. Ne- I assume not necessarily local ingredients, but but fresher, healthier meals than Gary might be eating at McDonald's. That's right. Mm-hmm. So, so I mean, I guess that sort of goes down that way as well. And one thing that's important. So, just because you know how to make a casserole and you're friends with some farmers doesn't necessarily mean you can open this business. There is a lot of regulation. Again, which is good. We don't want sketchy food in the grocery stores. I was going to ask you what kind of regulations you require the people. Mm-hmm. Um, so Cooperative Extension is really good at coaching people through that and about food safety. Um, you've got to have your kitchen inspected by NCDA or whoever your state may be. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are a lot of rules, and you have to get your recipes tested. But once you're good, you're good to go. Another option that's a lot cheaper is renting out a commercial kitchen. So talk to a local restaurant and ask them if you can come in at 10 o'clock at night. Mm-hmm. Um, they're not there. You're going to give them money. What do they have to lose? And I know in our area, a lot of churches have commercially approved kitchens, which you, know, they, they, if you might be able to work out an arrangement with them to use their kitchen at, at certain times. Maybe you maybe you can cook a meal for them every now and then and, and sort of do a quid pro quo sort of thing. I, I think that uh, I, I know that there's a, a group called, I guess, Blue Ridge Food Ventures up in Asheville, which also has a commercial kitchen that people can, can go up and use. But, you know, there, you know, we... 
we, I think we're all proponents of having a, a safe food supply, so making sure that you're, you're doing it right. And, and I guess when you say, uh, Melissa, NCDA, we're talking Department, North Carolina Department of Agriculture as, as sort of one of the, the quote-unquote governing bodies. But the Cooperative Extension Service is a statewide mm-hmm. organization in North Carolina, which is a, would be a great resource for trying to navigate all this stuff to figure out how to get your exactly. your business legal and mm-hmm. make sure you're doing it properly. Mm-hmm. And they're also good for connecting you with growers. Um, so in North Carolina, every single county has an extension office. and uh, So every state has a cooperative extension, but not every state has them in every county. So North Carolina is very fortunate in that way. Um, but this is a resource for everyone in the U.S., so, so I, I, w- I would think you know we're, it's getting cooler outside. I would think that there's some seasonality. You know, if I'm in the food business, uh, particularly in the farming part of it, there's a, there, the, there's a lot of seasonality to that. You know, how do you do you provide advice or guidance to our our farm, farmers? They have to put a lot of acorns in their nest uh, during the summer months to make mm-hmm. it through the winter months. You know, how how does how does that work? Any 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 guidance for them? So a lot of my farmers are branching out into getting high tunnels and doing um, year-round farming. But the biggest thing is, who do they sell to? Because a lot of farmers market ends. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's really where these middlemen businesses come in. And one great thing to do um, on both ends, either as a producer or as a middleman, is to talk about transparency, again, with your customer base. Give out produce calendars. Let people know when things are coming into season. Keep them in the loop. Um and once they kind of get a habit formed with that, they're not going to miss strawberries in December. They're going to know the strawberries come in in February or March. Um, so they'll get used to it. You just It's a learning curve. Um, and get input um, from customers on what they want. So they always see turnips at the farmer's market, and they have no idea what to do with them. So make a casserole with turnips. Give them the recipe. You know, get people used to it. Or if they have seen some special kind of beet at the grocery store. Farmers can grow that beet. They mm-hmm. just have to ask what customers want. Um, so it's good to have an open line of communication. Yeah, it sounds like it's a very educational type process as well. Mm-hmm. In terms, of, you know, it's it's great that we have these uh, interesting products, vegetables. But how do I use them, or what are some rep- recipes that I can be using them for? So I mean, it sounds like you're you're. Uh, a strong proponent of encouraging that type of education. Exactly. I think that's really critical. Um, and so through social media, that's a great way to do that. Customers a lot of times feel like, oh, I don't want to go to the farmer's market because I don't know what they have or they're not going to have what I want. So by using free services like Facebook or Instagram, you can tell them exactly what you're going to have, exactly how to cook it, what it looks like, what the finished product is going to look like. Um, that's really helpful for getting your customers in the know. And inspiring confidence. And, and, you, and you, you know, uh, Facebook is is uh, being used by everyone, as you said before. Are there are there other? Do you, do you focus your attentions on other social media platforms that, that provide more traction? I would think Instagram. I would think pictures and Instagram might mm-hmm. be one that uh, would be good for farmers markets and and food people in the food business. For in my experience, Instagram is a really great visual platform, but it ends up kind of being anonymous in a sense. So I'll post a photo to Instagram and share it to Facebook, and Facebook is where I get a real-world connection. That's where I pick up my customers. I can get lots of likes on Instagram, 
but those people might live in California or mm-hmm. um, Maine or wherever. They just like that it's a nice picture of a vegetable. Um, so there's kind of an anonymity on Instagram, and there's a more real-life connection on Facebook. That's a good distinction. Yeah. Twitter I've used before, and I don't get it. I <laughs> guess I'm just too old for that. You're too old for that? What about us? Come on. <laughs> well, I, it's always my experience that, that sometimes people rush to do all the social media mm-hmm. platforms, and, and, and they don't do any of them particularly well, and trying to yeah. focus their attentions on two or three is usually a better way to spend their time Mm -hmm. how long is the market open during the year my market is the end of april through the middle of october we could push it and go a little earlier or later i've got some farmers that are willing to do that um so we're experimenting with that maybe next year we're talking about it Um, and there was even talk about doing a year-round farmer's market and so i've got to have good buy-in i need like five farmers who know they're going to have something and a hundred customers who know they're going to come, and then I'm willing to experiment. That's my threshold. So, so um, for for food businesses and and helping food businesses, any any tips or or things that you can suggest for people that are starting food businesses or have started food businesses? So, starting food businesses, um, the biggest thing is. What does your community need, and why does it not have it? A couple years ago, we saw a lot of um, people do a cupcake business, which doesn't make any sense. How often do you need cupcakes in your Uh, normal life? If you're in New York City, you probably have plenty of customers that get one cupcakes. But for those of us that live in smaller (laughs) venues, not so much. Mm -hmm. So it's important to think through your business and, like, do we really need this? Because... I can almost guarantee you're not the first person to think of this business. So why are you the first person to actually follow through with it? You really need to sit down and think out that process. Um, And then from there, so once you think, okay, this is a good idea, my community needs this, then figure out how you're going to reach them. Are you going to go through a farmer's market channel where it's limited hours? Are you going to invest in a storefront, which is a huge amount of capital? Are you going to do only delivery options? Are you going to partner with other businesses? How do you get your product to people? You know, how do you market it? How do you sell it? It's a lot more to think through than, oh, I know how to make a casserole. I got this under control. From, from a geography perspective, I mean, how, how much of, of a food business, and I guess the Blue Apron thing is stuck in my mind, where, mm-hmm. where they seem to have created, I guess, a, a national business, and, I, and, I, and I've not delved into that business to know how they're distributing it. But, but you know, if I'm a local food business... Yeah, I sort of assume that there there is a perishable issue out there for for many products, not all products, but for mm-hmm. many products that that uh, limits me geographically to how many people I can be selling to. Is that something that comes into play as well? Absolutely. Um, we had an issue this year with the farmers market, and this was my main project. Um, perishability is a big problem. If we don't sell it all, it just goes to pigs or chickens, mm-hmm. which um, it's good quality produce. So. Um, partnerships are really important in the farmer's market business. And we partnered with Farmer Food Share out of Raleigh, um, who is a collection agency. And we were able to get a local organization. So Highways and Hedges in Conover is a food bank. They come every Saturday and pick up our leftover food. Mm-hmm. I think we donated 3,000 pounds of produce this year. So um, it's important to not grow too much and not pick too much, but you're always going to. You want to have an abundance. So getting a system in place to not just throw it away is important. Yeah. Well, and if, I'm, if, if it's my business, 
you know, I want to sell it mm-hmm. first, you know, but, yeah. I, but certainly I'd, I'd rather donate it to a, 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 a worthy organization as opposed to, you know, not that I have problems with the pigs and chickens, I, <laughs> I, but we'll eventually eat you pigs and chickens. So, uh, you know, we, we want them to, you know, to be healthy. How many too. farmers markets are around us? We have um, three main farmers markets, so Hickory Farmers Market, Conover Farmers Market, and we have a phenomenal farmers market at the um, Public Health Office. Um, that's on Thursday mornings. I think they're 10 to 2. They may have changed their hours. But they cater to the EBT and WIC crowd, mm-hmm. um, and that has really taken off. I was over there. Tracy Paul is their farmer's market manager, and she's done a great job with it, and I'm so excited to work with her. And she and I have worked together. Um, my farmer's market started doing EBT this year. It's a bit of a struggle. It was a learning experience for right. me. And I have to stop you because I don't, I don't know what EBT is. Oh, that's- so that is... Um, it's usually referred to as food stamps, but it's the government assistance program. And okay. I forget. Oh, it's electronic benefits transfer, okay, gotcha. which doesn't really mean anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a way for um, low-income households to get fresh produce. So okay. that really opens up a new market for us. And it doesn't um, take away from money they can spend at a grocery store. These are mostly extra bucks. Mm-hmm. So it's just free money. They wow. don't have to divvy up their um, very limited grocery funds to experiment with new products. They just get to experiment with them without consequence, essentially. Oh, great. Well, that was really great. All right. Well, Melissa, we really appreciate you sharing uh, this information with us and giving us some ideas for how some food businesses can get up and running and, and market themselves. Any any other tips that you've got before we, we move to our small businesses there? Not in particular. One quote that I've been focusing on for like the past month is food has a story farm to table how do we share that so that's really been my driving force for the last month and I'm still uncovering the answers well uh, it's it's an evolving uh, story I suspect Mm -hmm. uh, they change over time too exactly if people want to find find you or find the Conover's Farmer's Market, where should they be looking? Are, are you online somewhere? I'm on Facebook. Uh, we also have conoverfarmersmarket.org. We're not .com. Okay. Um, so that's the best place to find us. And what about the extension service? Um, extension, you can just Google North Carolina Extension. They have a really nice monthly newsletter with all their classes in it. So if mm-hmm. you want to get plugged into their network, that's a great way to do it. And our cooking classes will resume in January. So we're going to be featuring a local farmer and a local product every month. You're going to learn how to cook it. You're going to go home with a basket full or a bushel full of whatever the product was. It's a really fun night out on the town. Well, very good. So so we're happy to report there are opportunities out there if you're starting a food business, that there are resources to assist you. There are people that are doing it successfully. So... You know, bombs away. Keep moving ahead. You know, and and uh, you know, tap into your local farmers market. Tap into your extension service or or Department of Agriculture for assistance because there are a lot of resources out there to help you. So, Melissa, thank you so much for joining us thank today. Thank you for having me. Local authors, illustrators, and storytellers come together to create Storytime Station at the Mesh. Storytime Station is a video podcast that works as a virtual storybook. Each show features a new children's book and new reader. So gather the whole family to listen, learn, and laugh at Storytime Station on TheMesh.TV.
the end of our show, we always uh, like to talk up small businesses that we've come across, uh, whether in person or online or whatever, that, that we find interesting. And Melissa, do you, do you have a small business that you'd like to share with us today? I do have one. So uh, in Greenville, South Carolina, they have the Swamp Rabbit Trail, which is this great little bike highway of sorts. If you haven't been, you should definitely go. But on the Swamp Rabbit Trail, they have the Swamp Rabbit Cafe and Grocery. So this is a whole local foods business. They have um, a dine-in restaurant, a pizza place, a local grocery store. I mean, it's just everything you could ever dream of. And you get there on your bike, and it's super hippy-dippy. And it's, <laughs> it's from my generation, of course. Um, and, I like the technical term, hippy-dippy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and they're also really good at marketing on Facebook and Instagram. So every time they get a delivery from their farmer, they post six times a day. So you know exactly where your food's coming from. They do a lot of the pre-made foods and the casseroles. Um, that's where I got this new business idea for the casseroles from them. They mm-hmm. really excel at that. So mm-hmm. it's all about highlighting local foods but making it easy. So that was the Swamp the Swamp Rat Grill? Swamp Rabbit Cafe oh, and Grocery. Oh, Swamp Rabbit. I'm gonna, I, I, <laughs> yeah. was, I'm, I was more into the rats, so the Swamp <laughs> Rabbit. Okay. Well, I, I'm a big proponent of Greenville. That is a very cool town. Mm-hmm. They've got a great downtown scene going on. So I, the next time I'm there, I will find it. Absolutely. So, Gary, what sort of a small business are you going to share with us uh, today? Well, as I teased a little bit earlier, my new product and business is called Catchbox. Do you have any idea what that is? Is it a box that catches things? What is it? Sort of. It's the world's first wireless microphone built for audiences. Rick Barnes, our business tech director, told me about this new product when he was at a conference last week. It, with a soft exterior and auto-mute technology, this device can safely be passed around, thrown around at a conference. You know, we're always trying... We have big audiences, and we take these microphones and move them here and there and everywhere. You have big audiences. Not all of us have big audiences, uh, Dean Mullen. You have many big audiences, but big or small, that's what we work for. And, you know, but we're always trying to pass those things around, and, you know, it's just kind of cumbersome, and it's just the way we do it. These are little box, not much bigger than a softball or whatever. Actually, they can get a little bit bigger than that, and you throw it from person to person to ask questions so it's a little bit more creative and exciting for the audience to to stay engaged and it's called Catchbox and they have all types of uh, features for ones for small audiences and some for the very big audiences like if you have an audience of 500 people like you normally would have or more you might need four of these boxes as opposed to one for you know a 20 or 30 person but it's really kind of a neat thing and it's cool. a creative way of keeping people engaged in uh an audience discussion. Okay, so catch box, catch box, not catch rat. That no. was no <laughs> catch, catch box. box. Okay, gotcha. So you're gonna catch a box. Gotcha. Okay. My small business of the month. So, so I want you to close your eyes and imagine uh, a domestic shoe company that can make different styles of shoes exactly for your foot using 3D printers. Because now there is a company out there called called Feets, F-E-E-T-Z, that is doing this. They're making a variety of styles with custom soles and art support uh, and using a flex-knit material. Uh, So they're a startup uh, selling comfortable, recyclable 3D-printed shoes. Cost is now running around $199 a pair, so not that inexpensive. I mean, although... 
you know, my wife buys a lot of shoes, and I'm, I'm afraid to look at what those prices yeah, may I mean, be. I could buy 10 shoes for that. Uh, Feats is the brainchild of Lucy Beard, founder and CEO, who was fed up with never finding that perfectly fitting pair of shoes. And because of this, she decided to start making her own shoes with a 3D printer. So she went, I think it was on Indiegogo, and raised $1.25 million in seed funding last year. And I'm sure she raised, raised it not just on Indiegogo, but uh, I know she did some crowdfunding. And now they're a fully-fledged footwear company. They have a strategic partnership with a footwear retailer called DSW. And uh, everything about the 3D printed shoes is tailored for your comfort to ensure the best possible fit. Uh, each pair is available in 22 dimensions of fit, and customers can uh, they use an app. You actually download an app, and you take a picture of your foot based on some guidelines that they provide you. So they're going to make this shoe through a 3D printer specifically for the size of your foot. Uh, they're made to last with a guarantee of 500 miles of walking. And when they've taken their last steps, customers can simply send them back, and they'll be recycled and uh, you can get a new pair. Um, so just sort of a cool, Very interesting cool. thing. You yes. know, we, we talk about uh, domestic manufacturing, and I don't think there are a lot of shoe manufacturers in the United States. And and uh, doing a little bit of reading about it, Nike and I think New Balance are also experimenting with doing some shoes with 3D printers too. So you can check them out at www.feetz.com. And... Uh, buy shoes or just uh, check out an interesting business so if you've got a suggestion for our entrepreneur exchange small business of the month you can email that to us at eexchange at the mesh.tv and if we use your business idea on our show we'll send you a entrepreneur exchange prize package we want to thank Melissa Early for joining us today and uh, make sure that you visit uh, your local farmer's market, promote uh, and, uh, and, and use your, your local food sources and food providers. We want to thank The Mesh. You can download us at themesh.tv or subscribe at iTunes, the iTunes.store. So uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll look forward to talking with you again next month. And everybody have a great trick-or-treating day. Be safe out there. listening to The Mesh, an online media network of shows and programs ranging from business to arts, sports to entertainment, music to community. All programs are available on the website as well as through iTunes and YouTube. Check us out online at themesh.tv. Discover other network shows and give us feedback on what you just heard.